A sheriff in Florida tells people that he would prefer that they shoot home intruders. A college is teaching a pornography class. The conspiracy behind 18 food processing plants burning down in just six months. And could the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation case be the catalyst for men to start speaking out about being abused? Stay tuned. This is I Just Gotta Say Something. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're having a good day today so far. Hope you had a good weekend. Mine was okay. Um, I was having problems with my ulcer on Sunday, so uh, it was really, really bothering me. Um, Every now and then that flares up, and I mean, sometimes it feels almost as bad as the pain that I used to have before I had my gallbladder removed. Um, That would be really bad pain like in your upper back between your shoulder blades and in your chest, like right below your rib cage. It's just some, sometimes it's really painful. And I take medication for it to keep it under control, but uh, sometimes it just doesn't work and it really bothers me. So Sunday evening was not that great of a night for a while. Um, And it did start raining, which, you know, I guess we needed rain, but... um, I don't prefer rain. I I don't like it when it rains. So, um, especially when I know it's going to rain when I want to do something outside. And I can't because it's raining. So, I don't like that. Anyway, I don't really have much to talk about other than um, I want y'all to follow me on Twitter. I've been really active on Twitter lately. I've gotten about 200 followers in the last 10 days. Um, Elijah Schaefer follows me, Mr. Reagan, Chris Coles from YouTube, he follows me, Chrissy Mayer follows me, she's a comedian, Lila Hart, who's a comedian, she also follows me, and I'm sure that's what contributed to getting that many followers so quickly, because their followers see me, and things like that, it's really cool, um, and I did break down and put TikTok on my phone to find funny videos, because I intend to do a video of just funny videos one day, um, leftist meltdowns, whatever. It doesn't have to be politics. It can just be funny videos, just to kind of take a break. Sometimes, like I do when I do an episode, take a break from reality and just laugh, because sometimes it feels like you can't laugh because everything's falling apart, right? So there's really only a few things that I want to talk about today. Um, I haven't heard very many people talking about some specific things uh, that I have seen on Twitter, which is where I found out about it, and also on uh, watching Slightly Offensive, there was something mentioned that coincides with what I heard on Twitter. So I want to talk about that, because as far as I know, Tucker Carlson is the only person that has actually been covering this. But let's read our daily promise first. It says... And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Acts 16.31 The promise of salvation is a gift to the ones that believe on Christ. The Philippian jailer wanted to know how he could possibly be saved, and the response from Paul and Silas was simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. And so it is. Our very eternal lives rest on the simplest of things, our belief in Christ's power to save us. Rejoice in such things as they are cause for much joy. Okay. Um, Oh, you know, we had a a missionary come to our church Sunday morning from, uh, he's going to be a missionary to England. And um, he's going to be in Devon and working with another missionary. Um, I can't remember what the other county was. Um, but it starts with an L, and it's ne- it's like 30 minutes from Devon, and it's near Brighton. Um, so anybody listening from England, if you want to go check out those churches, it was a very wild sti- st- uh, statistic. Uh, I wrote it down in my notes this morning. And there's, I think he said there's 56 million people in England, and there are only 25 independent Baptist churches. And that's, um, and I think England is the size of the state of Alabama. In Alabama, there's 5 million people, but 348 independent churches. Now, you got to understand in the South, 
We are in the Bible Belt, which is where you'll find most of your independent Baptist churches. You don't find a lot in the northern states because there's just, there's not. It's a southern thing. Um, and it's a good thing. And, and this is why you do find a lot of Christians in the south and not in your northern states or on your east or west coast. You don't really find Christians there very often and not Bible-believing churches either. I just thought that was a crazy statistic with the comparison of that. 25 churches that teach the truth of the Bible and there's 56 million people. So um, they're, they're the Dice family, Brother Dice. They're going to be the missionaries to England. And so if you are listening from England, maybe you might want to go by and check that out. Anyway, first I have um, an article here um, that I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm trying to see which one this is. Okay, this is just, let me see. Okay. So I just thought this was interesting for the for the culture because you don't see this a lot. I know Chris Pratt is pretty open about his um, Christianity. I'm pretty sure Mark Wahlberg is Catholic. Um, I, I'm not a Catholic. I don't believe the Catholic faith. However, you know, just because you're Catholic doesn't mean that you can't get saved and go to heaven. You know, you can be any religion and have that happen. So I just thought it was interesting to see someone in Hollywood, somebody else coming out and saying something and this title is um, stay prayed up Mark Wahlberg breaks from Hollywood encourages fans to pray with him and then there's a video this says by Brodigan it says it's a trip for 80s kids to see what Mark Wahlberg has become we grew up with Marky Mark what's his face from new kids on the blocks kid brother he's become an incredible actor whether he's getting high with a talking bear or playing heavy dramatic roles he doesn't play the usual douchey liberal Hollywood games and he's also not afraid to talk about his faith. A no-no in Hollywood when it's one of the faiths centered around Jesus. Wahlberg attends Mass twice a day and not only encourages his fans to pray, but he also encourages them to pray with him. Now, um, while I don't believe in the Catholic faith and praying the rosary and things like that, it's still interesting to see someone, a, Holly, a huge Hollywood celebrity. I love Mark Wahlberg. And to openly speak about that, knowing that that is something that he will be condemned for. Nicole Kidman got condemned for taking her kids to mass and got a lot of backlash when she talked about that. Um, but she didn't let her let it stop her. Um, and then, of course, Chris Pratt, who goes to a church that preaches against homosexuality, a lot of backlash for that. And um, it's because Hollywood is a cesspool. And if you want to be successful, most of the time you can't talk about having faith in Jesus and your religion. Continuing on, it says, um, well, for those that are on a blind viewers, um, he said, I've been getting a lot of message from people who have been praying every day and finding peace and especially sending wonderful messages about doing the rosary with me. Okay, so Wahlberg then invited fans to continue praying the rosary with him at home while using an app. The Rosary, for you non-Catholics, is a series of prayers. A string of beads usually accompanies the prayers, each bead marking the uh, recitation of a certain prayer. It's rare for an A-list actor not named Chris Pratt to speak openly about prayer and faith. Openly is the key word. On an episode of the Joe Rogan podcast, Matthew McConaughey spoke to the fear and hypocrisy in Hollywood. Quote, I have had moments where I was on stage receiving an award in front of my peers in Hollywood, and there were people in the crowd that I prayed with before dinners many times, and when I thank God, I saw some of those people go to clap, but then notice that bad thing on my resume, and then sit back on their hands. End quote. Mark Wahlberg isn't one of them. While other celebrities are encouraging their fans to invest in crypto or buy luxury cars, Wahlberg is encouraging his fans to do something that matters. God bless him for it, and good vibrations still slaps. Don't act like you don't know. Um, yeah, I think it's really great, um, that he's doing that, you know, because it, it sets a good example that at least he prays whether or not he's really saved. That's none of my concern. I, if he says he is, that's on him and that's between him and God. I can't, I don't know him personally, so I couldn't even judge that. Um, I can say, I don't think a lot of Christians would stay in Hollywood because of what goes on there but 
then there's a lot of Christians that do things that they're not supposed to. So you can't really judge that. But good for him. Another article I wanted to read, before I get to the really uh, good stuff, there is a sheriff that encourages the citizens to shoot home intruders. This is by Joseph Gunderson. It says, Santa Rosa County Sheriff Bob Johnson is gunning for Sheriff Grady Judd's title as the coolest lawman in America. Go figure. They both serve communities in the great state of Florida. In a press conference on Thursday, reports the blaze, Johnson briefed the media on the recent arrest of a one Brandon Harris, who Johnson described as a quote-unquote frequent flyer with a rap sheet going back to when he was only 13 years old. Apparently, Harris decided to go on a string of home burglaries. At one home, a resident opened fire on Harris. Sadly, the homeowner was a terrible shot and didn't hit Harris. He did scare Harris away, though. Undeterred, Harris went to yet another home where he would be apprehended by law enforcement. Now, the county has a lifelong criminal in custody who is facing, quote, felony attempted burglary with assault, two counts of felony burglary to an occupied dwelling, felony burglary to an unoccupied dwelling, resisting arrest without violence, criminal mischief, and attempted larceny, end quote. He'll be suckling at the government teat for the foreseeable future, and that doesn't sit well with Sheriff Johnson. During his press conference, Johnson told citizens, quote, if somebody is breaking into your house, you're more than welcome to shoot at them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. If somebody's breaking into your house, you've got all the right in the world to defend yourself. Of course, Harris didn't get hit, and now we've got to pay for him. End quote. I think that is awesome. To sit there and say, if they break into your home, please shoot them so we don't have to take care of them in jail for the rest of their life. I love it. Great. I hope he gets it. See, dead men don't receive three hots and a cot in prison. They're just tossed in a grave. It's cheaper. Johnson also offered the homeowner who missed shooting Harris gun safety classes. Quote, if you take that, you'll shoot a lot better and hopefully, hopefully save the taxpayers money. End quote. I'm digging it. Crime is on the rise across the country, and it's partially because of policies that either make it easy for criminals to get away with it or release him back to the streets far too quickly. Johnson's policy makes certain neither of those occur. Lock and load, Floridians. This, see, this is why I love Florida and Texas. Because we're doing the hard-hitting stuff that everybody else around the country is afraid to do. We don't put up with crime here. Uh, but maybe Austin and Dallas, because they're very liberal counties um, and cities. But maybe those. But the rest of Texas, we don't put up with that. And I'm pretty sure, I might have to look it up, but I am pretty sure Texas has more guns than any other state in the country. We hold the most guns here in Texas. So you'd be really stupid to break into a home in Texas and apparently now in Florida. I think it's great. You know what? I am going to look that up. Let me look it up. So here you see, this is from CBS News. Gun licenses in 2021, and now I know you can do... Um, permitless carry now, constitutional carry, but as of 2021, the number of licenses in Texas was 1,006,555. 45.8% of adults say they live in homes with guns. We are number one, and Florida is number two with 518,725 guns. So, yes, we definitely have the most guns in the country. Um, and Rhode Island is the least um, with 4,887. So, there you go. I, it, to me, that's interesting that we have the most guns in the country. So, really, don't mess with Texas. Um, another thing that Louderus Crowder covered was a course in college that is offered to discuss adult entertainment and share it with friends. Like, this is, this definitely is a reason why you should never send your kids to college. They're just indoctrination camps. Um, I understand if they want to be a lawyer or they want to be a doctor, obviously they're going to have to go to school. But you better make sure that you have instilled standards and morals into your children that they are undeterred by what they try to force down their throats in college and that they stay sane. So <clears throat> this is also Joseph Gunderson. My foot's falling asleep. i got to change positions. This is college. Class offers course to discuss adult entertainment and share it with friends. I do not believe that hardcore pornography is a legitimate course to study. 
Oh, how we yearn for the days when such statements weren't controversial. But it appears there are at least a handful of academics who would disagree with Steven Crowder on that one, at least at Westminster College in Utah. In Utah! Like the Mormon capital of the world! There is also no shortage of pervy goofballs who are more than happy to sit down with a bunch of other students and a morally bankrupt professor to gaze at hardcore porn for hours each week. And that's not even taking into account the homework. How exactly would one study for a midterm in porn? Curious. The best grade you can get is two Ds. I didn't realize in college I had been doing so much homework. Yeah, it makes one wonder how many teenagers are walking around with enough research under their belts to qualify for doctorates in pornography studies or something. The jokes about this write themselves, but this is reality. This is the kind of degenerate smut that qualifies as scholarship and education. Should we be surprised when students graduate from such schools after attending these classes and go on to be teachers who don't understand what it is and is not appropriate topics to bring up with students? This isn't an isolated event either. This is going on everywhere. You can help to get the word out though. If you know of a school, university, teacher, or professor peddling woke ideology to students, oh, idiocy to students, it's time to start fighting back. Send your images, materials, and recordings to tips at louderwithcrowder.com and we'll make sure everyone sees what's happening. We know you don't like this woke garbage. We don't like it either. It's time to start pushing back. It's time to hashtag fight like hell. I agree. I just, I think, I think it's crazy, you know, and um, I, I'll tell you, this article here that's linked to that about how Billie Eilish makes sense for a change, how porn ruins your brain, John Doyle has done an excellent video on what pornography does, especially to young boys. And how it does affect your brain. It is a long video. You might have to watch it in parts. But I'm telling you. John Doyle. Heck off commie. You should go check it out. Because it's got a lot of good information in there. And you can really learn something from it. And I promise you. It would be good to know. If you have young kids. So you can understand what is going on. And also how to protect your kids from it. Um, it says here that Billie Eilish opened her mouth. And something smart came out for a change. We agree with her that porn ruins your brain. We also get into the truth about Facebook's fact checkers. Okay, I'm not worried about that, but this is what she said. She told Howard Stern she began watching porn when she was 11 years old, and it quote-unquote destroyed her brain. A 2010 Ministry of Health survey in Japan found 36% of men had no interest in sex, and that percentage doubled in two years. Early pornography exposure can lead to early sexual behavior as well as increase the risk of becoming a victim of sexual violence. Divorce rates double when people start watching porn. So there's just a few facts about it that you can look into. Okay. Now, let's talk about the really important stuff here. Um, this is um, from Business and Politics. Tucker reports on quote-unquote, odd coincidence of multiple food processing plants burning down. What's going on? Something odd appears to be happening across America. In the past six months, now this was written April 22nd of 2022, 18 U.S. food processing plants have reportedly burned down, and Twitter has questions. This is an odd coincidence, remarked Wall Street Sober, who posted a collage of headlines from Texas, Nebraska, Oregon, Tennessee, California, and more, all screaming fire. Anyone else been following this? The hugely popular cat turd asked Thursday. Yeah, this is where I saw this. It was on Twitter. If users weren't following the story before, they are now. The tweet was retweeted nearly 7,000 times in just 13 hours. And this is where I heard about it from, was cat turd. And um, so let me pull up this picture here. And when you read the headlines, so there's 18 here. You have um, Bonanza Meat Company, February 15th of 2022. I'm trying to read the dates, but they're really small. Then you have um, a processing facility in Lackawanna County, November 29th, 2021. Um, Cobb County Meat Company, Nebraska JBS Beef Plant. Salinas Food Processing, 
Cattle rescued after fire destroys meat market. One in Hansville, Alabama. You have Wisconsin River Meats. Um, Delhi Star Meat Plant in St. Clair County. Explosion causes fire at Oregon Potato Chip Plant. I mean, they're everywhere. You know, you just look into this. This is everywhere. The latest fires come on the heels of a warning in late March from President Joe Biden that food shortages, quote unquote, are going to be real, swamping whispers of conspiracies across social media. That's my question. He said there would be food shortages. Then you have 18 plants in the last six months that have burned down or have severe enough damage that they're not operational, at least right now. How do you you not put those two things together? To me, in my opinion, I cannot prove this. This is just my opinion. I think it's done on purpose. And I'll tell you why I think it's done on purpose when we finish this. So what is happening? Well, after a small plane crashed into a Georgia General Mills plant, the second plane in a week to hit a food processing plant, radio talk show host Jason Ranch joined Fox News host Tucker Carlson to lend some perspective to the string of destructive fires. Quote, so industrial accidents happen, of course, said Carlson, but this is a lot of industrial accidents at food processing facilities at the same time the president is warning us about food shortages, end quote. Obviously, when something happens every so often, you obviously hope that there is no significant damage and certainly that no one gets hurt, but you kind of write it off. It's not that big of a deal. Accidents happen. But when you've got well over a dozen food processing plants and warehouses getting destroyed or seriously damaged over just the last few weeks at a time when the food supply is already vulnerable, it's obviously going to be suspicious and it could lead to serious food shortages. That's why some folks are now wondering, well, number one, what's going on? You've got some people speculating that this might be an intentional way to disrupt the food supply, Rance added. One Twitter user who is in the crop protection business has been following the fires closely and says, quote, none of it's normal or usual, planned, end quote. And Greg Musselwhite posted a list of fires and dates along with the comment, this can't be coincidental. Yes, there was another plane that crashed into a food processing plant tonight, tweeted Kimberly Morin. WTF is going on, and why isn't the media or the GD government talking about this? Um, so this is a picture here. I'll pull it up so you can see it. This here is the date, the food plant, the location, and what exactly happened. Um, so in El Paso, Texas, for those of us that live in Texas, Bonanza Company, Tuesday, February 15th of 2022, was from a fire. Um, and that's the only one I see in Texas. No, there's Rio Fresh in Texas as well, March 31st, 2022, a fire. This doesn't seem like a coincidence. And to me, the thing that, that seems most obvious, and they're not going to admit it, is that they're purposefully giving us a food shortage so that we would have to depend on the government to get our food so we can eat. And when you have to depend on them for a necessity that you really cannot live without, then you're more apt to comply to the government's will and demands in order to be able to feed your family. I think that's what's happening. I truly do. Nerves were made rawer following a warning this week from the International Money Fund, IMF, that the world must ready itself for an economic slowdown and the violence that often comes with it. As reported in BizPack Review, the IMF, quote, is warning that the world must brace for a significant economic slowdown, explosive inflation, and potential violent societal unrest due to skyrocketing energy and food prices as famine and depression loom in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, end quote. First of all, the inflation and food shortages has nothing to do with Russia invading Ukraine. Our gas prices were already going up the day that Biden took office because of him shutting down the pipeline on day one. When Trump was in office, we not only were providing for our own country with our own oil, we were exporting as well. We have more than enough oil to take care of our country and to export it to other countries and be energy independent. But we're not. I don't. The only reason I can see that we're not doing those things is because if we don't depend on the government for basic necessities, they can't control us. It's all about power and control. And if you can't see that yet, then you're never going to see it. 
you're probably going to stay blind for the rest of your life, and you're going to bow down to the will of the government and do whatever it is they say, not the least of which is give them your children so they can trans them and confuse them and get them to a point where when they're in their mid-20s, they're going to commit suicide because they're so depressed because you as a parent didn't protect them. There is so much going on that it's just like, if you can't see what's happening, I just don't know that you'll ever be able to. I just don't think you. there's hope for you. That's how I feel. I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope there's hope for people like that that aren't seeing what's really happening. I truly do. I don't want them to, to end up having this awful life because they never woke up and paid attention to what was happening to them, their family, their country, you know, their fellow citizens. I don't want that. But I just don't know if there's hope for people that are still blindly following the government at this time. I just don't know. And it's not only that. Um, the reason why I think that they are purposefully doing this is what I heard on Slightly Offensive from Jeff Younger. If you don't know who that is, that's the dad in Texas who the mother was transing their son and he lost custody of them and they are forcing his 10 year old son to be a girl when he doesn't want to be. And he's fighting that. And he's also running for a house seat in Denton County. So if you live in Denton County, you should go vote for him because I, I like what he has to say. His only goal is to go in and make a law that can protect children from this type of child abuse and then get out and go back and live his life. Um, but I, I found this article here from AmericanManufacturing.org, and it says, The U.S. imports a lot of food from China, and you might be surprised what's on the list. So what Jeff Younger said is, just like they did with our manufacturing plants, you know, where we were making cars and things like that, and they shipped all that over to China, they're doing the same thing with our food processing. They're going to ship it to China, where we're now going to be dependent on China for food. So there's this is by Elizabeth... Brotherton Bunch, and this was released on September 23rd, 2014. So, it could have changed by now, but this is what I've got for now. Um, China, uh, this is Interlinked Interconnected Food, U.S.-China Food Trade from Wilson Center, China Environment Forum, Forum. China is the largest foreign market for U.S. food and agricultural products. 20% of all U.S. agricultural exports come from China. $28.8 billion worth of exports in 2013, 854% increase from 2002 to 2011. The U.S. is the second largest foreign market for China's agricultural commodities, U.S. food imports from China. So, you see, it was really low in 1990, it was at 453, then in 2000 it hit 1210, and in 2010, well, 9, 8, 2007, it really skyrocketed to 43.15, but in 2010, it was 38.67. Now, your cell phone is made in China. What about your baked tilapia dinner? How much of America's food comes from China? 90% of our vitamin C, 78% of our tilapia, 70% of our apple juice, 50% of our cod, 43% processed mushrooms, and 23% garlic. So what do Chinese people buy from the U.S.? U.S. major agricultural exports to China in 2013. Brewing or distilling dregs and waste, $1.4 billion. Cotton, $2.4 billion. Soybeans, $13.33 billion. Um, wheat, $1.08 billion. Corn, um, I can't read that number. It's something in the billions. It's 3%. Edible chicken and pig parts, $0.85 billion is what it looks like. And it includes hides and skins, um, oak woods, etc. I can't read that because it's so small. Much of the soybeans, brewing dregs, and corn is used to produce animal food feed to satisfy China's increasing demand for meat and dairy products. China's growing appetite means more business opportunities for the U.S. Rising income, 22% of the world's population, limited farmland, and that's in China. But in the U.S., we have advanced technology, 
4% world population, and abundant farmland. So a 2020 update says, the blog re below remains one of our most popular on the website, and there has been an increased interest in it during the coronavirus crisis. The United States continues to import food from China, including $4.6 billion worth in 2017 alone. Top imports include fruits and vegetables, snack foods, spices, and tea. In 2019, for example, the U.S. imported $89 million worth of tea and $300 million worth of apple juice. Do you know where your vitamin C comes from? How about that glass of apple juice or that tilapia you ordered at dinner the other night? Chances are all three came from China. Along with importing plenty of electronic products, clothing, and other manufactured goods, the United States imported roughly 3.9 billion pounds of agricultural products from China in 2010, making it the second largest market for such goods. The China Environmental Forum at the Woodrow Wilson Center put together an infographic highlighting the most popular agricultural imports from China. Politico Pro reports, China is responsible for 90% of the vitamin C consumed by Americans, 78% of the tilapia, 70% of the apple juice, 50% of the cod, 43% of the processed mushrooms, and 23% of the garlic. As the infographic notes, the food trade between China and the United States is interconnected. China imported 13.33 billion worth of soybeans and 2.4 billion dollars worth of cotton and 1.8 billion 0.8 billion worth of wheat in 2013. But the United States is going to need to sell a lot more soybeans to hit even, given that we continue to import an incredible amount of stuff from China. After all, the monthly U.S. goods deficit with China reached $30.9 billion in July, an all-time high. But it's not just trade figures that are troubling about agricultural imports from China. A number of food safety scandals have rocked China in recent years. Just this summer, a top meat supplier was accused of intentionally selling expired meat to restaurant companies after a television station ran a report alleging the practice. As a result, McDonald's announced earlier this month it is overhauling its food safety strategy in China. And serious concerns remain over the safety of imported processed chicken meat from China. In fact, members of Congress took, an issue, took on the issue during a June hearing on Capitol Hill. Labels and a lack of transparency may be the reason health safety has gotten lost in the back and forth between China and the U.S. Last year, the United States Department of Agriculture allowed processed chicken to be exported from China, but this has spiraled into confusion over where food is made and regulation has become lost in the process. Members also looked at the safety of pet treats imported from China, which have been blamed for the deaths of more than a thousand dogs. Senator Sherrod Brown, a Democrat of Ohio, introduced an amendment to, quote, Ensure Congress has given greater information on the Obama administration's efforts to investigate the safety of China's processing. Brown's amendment makes sense. If we're importing so much of our food from China, let's at least make sure it is safe to eat. My question is, why are we support, uh, importing so much food from China? What is the point? I don't get it. Um, I got to turn on the AC. I'm starting, it's really hot in here. <clears throat> From The Guardian, and I, I don't think this is new. Um, this is April 29th from 2020, talking about millions of farm animals called as U.S. food supply chain chokes up. U.S. government vets said to be ready to assist with culls or depopulation of pigs, chickens, and cattle because of coronavirus meat plant closures. Um... My, my thing is, is I think that this is what started it, and, and now that people are, are, are back in action and going to work and things like that, they are still culling cattle. Um, even when the beef prices are, are really expensive right now, they could be making a lot of money, but they're culling the cattle. And I, I just feel like this is all planned and ready to start trying to control us by controlling our food. And I think they are going to send all of it to China. But we are more than capable of supplying our own food. We are more than capable of supplying our own medicines to our country. We don't have to get that stuff from China. We've given it to them. Like, all of our medications come from China. So if they wanted to withhold it from us, they could. This is why you don't ever let other countries develop or process any of your stuff unless you absolutely have to because it can't be done in your country but you need it if it can be done here 
you do it here. So you don't depend on anybody else. And that is the biggest problem with our government. Sending out and sourcing out everything we make, our food, our cars, our phones, our clothes, our shoes, everything to other countries where now we're dependent on them to make sure we get what we need and what we want. I'd like to know what you think about that. You can hit me up on Twitter with that. The last thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation case. Not because I care so much as, okay, that's a lie. I care because I really do like Johnny Depp and I think he was done very dirty. And I think Amber Heard is a stinking whack job and probably should be institutionalized. I want to talk about that though. Be, not, not to talk about what's happening between them and focus on that. But what the bigger picture of this coming out into the light, what this means in the, in the bigger scheme of things. So a full breakdown of the case right now. We live in a litigious society, so there's always something going through the courts. Whether it's the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse or the Supreme Court hearing a case that may overturn the garbage precedent set by Roe v. Wade, there's always something. This week, it's the defamation trial between Johnny Depp and his ex, Amber Heard. And boy, is it crazy. Boy, is it crazy. I've been watching the live streams with Mercado Law. And Johnny Depp is thinking hilarious when he's being questioned and cross-examined. It's He has said some funny things. Some of his text messages that have been read just had me cracking up. They were very inappropriate. But just having him read it in court, it, it was funny. These things take a long time. You're all busy people. Unlike too many people on the left, you have jobs to work and families to support. You don't have time to sit down for hours on end to see all the interesting tidbits coming out of such a trial. Luckily, we have your back, and we are here to provide you with all the most interesting highlights. Depp accusing his ex-wife of defecating was a favorite of ours on his, on his bed. She pooped on his bed. But this isn't, just, this isn't just a conversation about two terrible people, one more terrible than the other, of course, who were awful together and are now having, in, having it on in court. Although it is also that, it's a point from which we can take off to discuss some of the little-known statistics about domestic abuse. And that's the point I want to get to. Are men more likely to be the perpetrators of domestic abuse, or are women more likely? The real stats may surprise you. However, the behavior of Amber Heard might have already convinced you which way this figure might swing. Is Johnny Depp's defamation trial the beginning of a conversation about men's rights? Will the publicity of this trial open people's eyes to the not uncommon struggle of so many men currently suffering in relationships with domineering and abusive women? Perhaps. This, uh, this certainly should be the end of the hashtag MeToo myth of believing all women. Amber Heard appears to be about as awful a liar as she was a spouse and actress as well. Now, I'm not going to play the video because it's going to be too long. You're going to have to go check it out. But this is, I think, the catalyst to start the conversation. Okay? So, when you look at this, this is from Ananias Foundation. Domestic Violence Statistics. My source here is a large survey conducted by an unbiased and very reliable authority, the United States Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, okay, I understand the irony of that, but these are real stats, okay? While women are more frequent victims, the domestic violence statistics show men were also victims much more often than even I would have expected. And actually, I don't know if she's right, but it says 33.3% um, or about 1 in 3 women have been physically assaulted by an intimate partner in their lifetime and 25.7% or about 1 in 4 men have also experienced physical assault by a partner sometime in their life. I, I'm, I'm a little wary of trusting the statistics mostly because I'm not so sure a lot of men are being honest about being domestic abuse victims by their spouses or their girlfriends. Um, you have 24.3% or about 1 in 5 women experience severe violence and 13.8% or about 1 in 7 men had a life experience that involves severe violence using the same definition. Then when you look at emotional abuse statistics, 48.4% of women have experienced at least one form of psychological aggression, and 48.8% of men have also experienced one of these forms. So men are experience, 
experiencing emotional abuse far more, uh, more not far more, but more frequently than women. I don't care about the statistics in the LGBTQ community. They're actually not as um, as high, uh, mostly especially in your your same sex couples as men, because men will fight men even if you're gay. One hits you, you hit back. It's when and I don't know about you know same sex couples with women. Um, they probably have cat fights. So those numbers are are lower than a male and female relationship. Um, why domestic violence against men is invisible. With domestic violence statistics showing nearly as many male victims as female, why do we so often call it violence against women? First, women are more affected by domestic violence. Due to biological differences in size and strength, they are more prone to injury or fear of being injured. Second, men underreport incidents involving domestic violence more than women. Of course they do because, you know, they're, they're embarrassed and they don't want to look weak. So first, we need to remove gender reference biases when we talk about domestic violence. We should condemn violence and protect victims regardless of the sex of the victim or perpetrator. We'd be racist if we talked about criminals as blacks, and we are equally prejudiced when we talk about abusers as men. Second, we need to stop using quote-unquote eliminating male entitlement as a cornerstone for treating batterers. If that attitude exists, it is a small and insignificant among the factors that contribute to our alarming domestic violence statistics. Maybe this is why batterers' intervention programs have been largely ineffective. Instead, programs need to focus on healing past traumas and developing emotional control capabilities. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care about that. Okay. Domestic, uh, this one is from domesticviolencestatistics.org. And I want to see what, um, they are using the same statistics from the CDC as well. I just wanted to compare and, and have multiple sources and see what they're both saying. And they are saying one in three women and one in four men. So it, it is the same. But there is an article here from townhall.com. Stop saying men are more responsible for domestic violence than women. And this was written by a woman, Rachel Alexander. And it's an opinion piece, but I wanted to read it. Contrary to years of alarming reports by the media focused only on domestic violence by men, women actually commit more domestic violence incidents than men. But the UN ran a global campaign this winter titled, quote, Orange the World, End Violence Against Women Now, end quote. The description of the drive made, made frequent references to, quote, unquote, violence against women and girls, but did not include any mention of, quote, unquote, violence against men and boys. Multiple studies of domestic violence have found that slightly more men than women report being a victim of domestic violence within the past year, 19.8% to 18.8%. Last year, the Coalition to End Domestic Violence issued a report entitled, quote, 30 Years of Domestic Violence Half-Truths, Half Truths, Falsehood, and Lies. Um, they revealed massive amounts of bias in this area. By the way, this was written January 19th of this year. So this is more, freak, more uh, accurate than what we were getting from the CDC in 2010. Much of the precipitation that domestic violence is mainly perpetrated by men against women developed in the 1990s when then-Senator Joe Biden drafted the Violence Against Women Act. Despite all the taxpayer money thrown at the program, there is little or no evidence that VAWA, which is what they're calling it, funded programs have succeeded in reducing rates of domestic violence. And according to commentator Christina Veligas, Protecting persons from partner abuse, quote, has never been the primary intention of VAWA, end quote. Instead, the domestic violence campaign has been a, quote, political movement that seeks to change social norms and redistribute resources, power, and control to women with the long-term aim of a genderless socialist society, end quote. Another stereotype that persists also began in the 1990s, quote, more women are victims of domestic violence on Super Bowl Sunday than on any other day of the year, end quote. Even the left-wing Snopes fact-checking site labeled that false. Snopes explained, quote, the claim that Super Bowl Sunday is the, quote, biggest day of the year for violence against women is a case study of how easily an idea congruous with, the, with what people want to believe can be implanted in the public consciousness and anointed as, quote-unquote, fact, 
even when there is little or no supporting evidence behind it. Longtime leading feminist Gloria Steinem once declared, quote, the most dangerous situation for a woman is a husband or a lover in the isolation of their home, end quote. This is false. According to the CDC, the leading causes of injury deaths for women are falls, followed by poisonings and then traffic accidents. The left-wing-dominated legal system is responsible for much of the misinformation. The website of the DOJ Office of Violence Against Women was found to contain massive misinformation. It was so bad that all of the inaccurate fact sheets were removed by 2021. However, some false data remains on another DOJ website, the Office for Victims of Crime, and a document entitled Facts About Domestic Violence. Based on, finding from, based on findings from the National Crime Victimization Survey, it incorrectly relates the same inaccurately compiled, tired, old statistics. The International Association of Chiefs of Police mostly ignores the fact that domestic violence is perpetrated against men, too. The National District Attorneys Association is almost as bad. National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges issued a pamphlet entitled Bringing the Green Book to Life, a resource guide for communities, which contains the words battered mothers and battered women 27 times, but not a single instance of battered fathers or battered men. I'm going to interject this here. I know couples in my life. I don't know of any couples in my life where the man has been abusive, whether physically or emotionally or both, to their spouse or their girlfriend. I've never known any of my friends that are in a, in a in a relationship with somebody being abused in that way by their man. That That's just not something that I know of. However, I have seen in a marriage the woman being the abuser, hitting, emotional. I've seen that. But I've not seen it with the men. And I wonder why that is. Could it be because women think that because they're women and men aren't supposed to hit women that they have more right to get away with it and they won't face any consequences so they do it? I think that could be it. Um, the American Bar Association issued a two-page flyer, 10 Myths About Custody and Domestic Violence and How to Counter Them. The Coalition to End Domestic Violence found, quote, overall, the great majority of assertions and conclusions in the CODV flyer were found to be unsupported, misleading, or wrong, end quote. Not surprisingly, the ABA took the paper down, but not before it was posted on the Leadership Council on Child Abuse and Interpersonal Violence website. Perhaps the reason this myth is perpetrated is because of the outdated perception that women are helpless to defend themselves from men. Times have changed. Women can call 911, own guns, learn martial arts to defend themselves, and use the deterrent threat of shaming on social media and through the regular media. Of course, there are exceptions to all of that where a woman may be unable to utilize any of those. But there, is, there are also situations where a man may be unable to defend himself from a woman, such as situations where she is stronger or has a weapon and he doesn't. Or because they grew up learning that you shouldn't hit women, and even though it would be in self-defense, they don't feel right doing it. That's what I think Johnny Depp's issue is, is that he's not going to hit her back, even in self-defense, because she is a woman, and he knows that he could hurt her if he does. And so he just does it, and he just takes it. He reminds me of somebody I know that I've seen in that situation. The bias is a problem because it promotes harmful stereotypes of men, Instead of being the protectors of women, they are viewed as abusers and predators. It makes women unnecessarily scared to have relationships with men and puts men on eggshells dating women. I don't think it makes women scared of men. Absolutely, I don't. Because I think we have so demasculated men that they are just so timid and feminine that women aren't worried about that. But it is the men that do walk on eggshells afraid of being Hashtag me too. Definitely. I think that's how it is. It also makes men less likely to contact law enforcement for help with domestic violence, which then perpetrates the myth that they aren't a vicious cycle. The numbers of men who contact services for help are drastically smaller than women, as much as 99 to 1 in areas such as legal assistance, sexual assault services, and transitional living services. Contrary to popular stereotype, black men are more likely than black women to be victims of domestic abuse. 
Mandatory domestic violence arrest policies likely result in disproportionate arrest rates among black men. Women are also more likely than men to be involved in abuse of their children. They commit 53% of child abuse incidents, and mothers are responsible for 71% of child homicides committed by a parent. Unfortunately, researchers who attempt to refute the misleading claims are targeted by activists. The late professor Suzanne Steinmetz published a book showing that men and women commit domestic violence at approximately equal rates. For this, a letter-writing campaign was launched to deny her promotion and tenure at the University of Delaware, and her daughter's wedding received a bomb threat. I remember that. Finally, during the COVID-19 epidemic, there were wild claims that being stuck at home has increased domestic violence, but four different studies found that, that this was not true. What is it going to take to stop this hurtful stereotype from being perpetrated? People daring to speak up and say enough, especially leaders and men who have been hurt. I'm running out of recording time. Um, I still have one more thing to talk about. Uh, but I, I do think that this defamation case being so open and people knowing about it really can be the catalyst for a conversation to really start happening. And any guys that are listening that have been in that situation or maybe you're in that situation now, do not be afraid to speak up. I, I do not believe that anybody is going to think you are weak or, you know, I don't think they're going to mock you. I think they understand that men, most men, even in self-defense, don't want to hit a woman because they know that it could be much more damaging to them. It could hurt them so much more than they can hurt you unless, obviously, they have a deadly weapon, um, you know, like throwing liquor bottles and cutting your finger off. Um, if you didn't know, Amber Heard did do that. I'm pretty sure she, she threw dishes at him. Um, we know she's hit him. and She slapped him. Um, she probably punched him, even though she said she didn't punch him. She slapped him. So I'm telling you, she is a whack job. And I want men to know that you can come forward and you can talk about it. And I don't think what's going to happen is what you think is going to happen. I think you will have all the support in the world. However... I support a man hitting a woman in self-defense. If she is going to continually attack you physically, hit you, throw things at you, push you, and she won't stop, and you're needing her to stop because you're getting hurt, like getting your finger chopped off with a liquor bottle breaking on it, I think you have every right to hit her back, and she deserves it. I would knock her out if I were a man, but I understand that men are afraid to do that because then it's not going to be about the man that was being domestically abused. It's going to be about him abusing her because he was trying to defend himself because maybe she did have a weapon. So I, I do understand why you don't hit back, but I, I would be fine with it. I'm okay with you hitting your back, but also I'm okay with you coming forward and I don't think anybody's going to look at you any differently and I think you're going to have all the support that you need to get past it and get over it. I don't think that you're going to be ridiculed and be told that you're weak and be made fun of. I really don't think that's going to happen. And if some people do, because obviously some people are like that, it'll be a radical feminist that are going to be like that, but they're idiots. So what they say doesn't matter. They don't matter. They're nobodies. They're miserable little lives over there, and they want to make everybody else miserable with them. They don't matter. What they say is not important. It's the ones that you know actually are sane and have common sense and understand that this is a problem and more men need to step forward so we can fix it and start actually, you know, helping men in these relationships just like they wanted to help women. You got Women do have more rights when it comes to that stuff and in the court and with custody of children women definitely have more rights and they are not equal to what the father has and you can just look at the jeff younger case with his son and see how unequal that stuff is when it comes to children and the mom and the dad honestly i was gonna read this other article i'm not sure if i'm gonna have enough time it's about why men remain silent We're going to read it because I, I want to talk about why men remain silent. This is from 
thesilenceofdomesticviolence.blogspot.com. This was written in April 2013, but it's still relevant, I think. In July 2012, I wrote about the emotional impact that being silent had on me. I feel that the time has come to unpack this a little more and explore the reasons why men remain silent about being victims of domestic abuse. I'm task-oriented. I will discuss my aims, my projects, my achievements with anyone. But if you asked me how I was feeling, the answer you would get would be, I'm fine, even if I wasn't. It, it, uh, oh, I lost my spot. It just wasn't part of my nature to talk about my feelings and emotions. If I felt hurt, I wasn't going to make an issue of it. I certainly wouldn't let anyone know. I'd simply dust myself down, pick myself up, and carry on. I would talk about what I could do or what I was going to do, but never about how I felt or the circumstances behind emotions. I would say that this is true of most men, that our innermost angst remains locked away in our psyche. For a long time, I didn't recognize the violent assaults on me as domestic abuse. I had made a wedding vow that included the words, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. The actions perpetrated against me, I reasoned, was because of some undiagnosed illness caused by the stress of bereavement and maybe even psychological changes due to childbirth. My pleas to my ex-wife to seek medical attention for her extreme anger outbursts were ignored. I didn't see the attacks on me as criminal assaults, although they clearly were. I kept telling myself that the violence would end once the grieving had ended or once the baby had arrived. It never did. The more I accepted her pattern of behavior, the worse it became. Also, how could I even think about involving the police in pressing charges against the woman I loved? I felt I couldn't tell anyone. Who would believe me? Most people thought that women are incapable of attacking the physically stronger man. I wish I'd known back then that women attacking their male partners is far more prevalent than assumed. Although hit, I'd never retaliate back. To me, striking a woman, even under provocation, is totally unacceptable. When I first stayed away from the marital home, a counseling session was arranged. This was facilitated by our bishop before they realized the extent of the abuse. In fact, I would like to think that this session helped them comprehend the severity of the abuse I suffered. In trying to comprehend all that had happened, I spoke about being physically hit by my ex-wife and said that I would never hit her back. She responded in a loud, angry voice, quote, If you did hit me, you'd only do it once, end quote. To which I calmly responded, quote, That's the problem, though. You've hit me more than once, end quote. However, the attitudes I encountered afterwards were all dismissive about the severity of the abuse. I suspect, though, were I a female, it would have been a different story. Men remain silent because they, they suspect that they won't be believed. This is borne out by statistics that I've quoted before, the, quoted before from the Mankind Initiative. Twice as many male victims, or 28% than women, 13%, do not tell anyone about the domestic abuse they are suffering, highlighting the level of underreporting. Male victims are three times, or 10%, more likely not to tell the police they are a victim than a female victim, 29%. And only 4% of male victims will tell a health professional compared to 19% of female victims. I looked up the Crown Prosecution Services, or CPS, guidelines for domestic violence. I thought that perhaps I could find reasons for why men don't feel comfortable going to the authorities. It makes interesting reading. So six, it says, Gender and the CPS Violence Against Women Strategy. The Violence Against Women Strategy provides an overreaching framework for crimes that have been identified as primarily being committed by men against women within a context of power and control. Domestic violence prosecution should therefore be addressed within an overall framework of violence against women and an overall human rights framework. Prosecutors should also recognize that domestic violence also takes place within same-sex relationships, that men can be abused by women, and that family members can be abused by siblings, children, grandchildren, and other relatives. Although there is a token reference to male victims, recognize that men can be abused by women, the clear emphasis made is that domestic violence is primary, primarily committed by men against women. I decided to explore this more and came across Matt, uh, Matzak A. Hatsidimitriado E. and Lindsay J. I don't know if those are right. From Review of Domestic Violence Policies in England and Wales, London, Kingston University, and St. George's University of London. So this is a book. This proved to be insightful and offered some history about UK governmental policy development. 
Violence against women was recognized as a fundamental infringement of human rights in the 1993 United Nations Declaration on the Elimination of Violence Against Women and was a major topic at the 1995 Beijing Fourth World Conference on Women, UN Women 1995. The serious consequences of domestic violence have also been recognized by the World Health Organization. Over the past 30 years, there have been major char uh, changes in the national policy and comprehension of domestic violence in the United Kingdom, driven and in response to advocacy and campaigning by the women's movement and non-governmental organizations providing services to abused women. During the period between 1997 and 2010, the main focus of policy and legislation on domestic violence was on implementing measures based on prevention, protection, and justice and the provision of support for victims of domestic abuse to be implemented by partnerships of service providers at local and national levels. Interestingly, in formulating policy, the government defined domestic violence in a gender-neutral way. Since 2010, following the election of a coalition government, conservatives and liberal democrats, there is a shift in policy direction with increased focus on a more broad gender-based agenda to end violence against women and girls. The UK government is currently reviewing policy in this area and is utilizing the United Nations Declaration's definition, namely, it's from uh, 1993. This is the definition. Any act of gender-based violence that results in or is likely to result in physical, sexual, or psychological harm or suffering to women, including threats of such acts, coercion, or arbitrary deprivation of liberty, whether occurring in public or in private life. The current government is consulting on whether to extend this definition to include younger people. The consultation also recognized that men and boys could be victims of domestic violence and the impact of domestic abuse on families and children. In March 2011, a new action plan called to end violence against women and girls action plan was published setting out immediate and longer term priorities for action and the responsibilities of different government departments and framing policy development within an equalities and prevention framework with a distinct and new focus not only on adults but also on the protection of children from domestic and gender-based violence within families, schools, and from harmful material on the internet. It is backed by £28 million to fund the support, the provision of specialist services for victims and prevention work. The last paragraph offers one more, once more the nominal concession to men and then promotes the new action plan which excludes men. It does concern me that the move away from gender-neutral to gender-based approach will stop men from speaking out. It goes without saying that if only female abuse victims are heard and listened to, even fewer men will be strong enough to come forward. The truth is that domestic violence is no respecter of gender. These statistics show that while slightly more women than men suffer DV, the gap between the two genders isn't that wide. And this was produced by the Mankind Initiative in February 2013. 40% of domestic abuse victims are male. For every five victims, there will be uh, three will be female, two will be male. 7% of women and 5% of men were estimated to have experienced any domestic abuse in the last year, equivalent to an estimated 1.2 million female and 800,000 male victims. 31% of women and 18%, one in six of men, had experienced any domestic abuse since the age of 16. These figures were equivalent to an estimated 5 million female victims of domestic abuse and 2.9 million male victims. Um, I'm not going to read all of these statistics, but what I think is um, important to note is that this article and the first two articles that I read were giving statistics based from 2010 and 2013. And then this article from Town Hall was written this year giving us more accurate and up-to-date statistics that that's what we should be paying attention to. This really is an issue that I think is worth fighting for for men's rights when it comes to domestic abuse and also when it comes to divorces and child custody and why does a mother automatically always get the children? Why not the dad? Um, I've seen lots of families broken up that way and I've had my own issues. Um, I can say that while it's true that I automatically got custody of my children when we first filed for divorce, I don't have custody of them now, so they didn't favor me, but I'm the exception. There are lots of women out there who have custody of their children that definitely shouldn't. And if you look at what ha happened to me 
there was no reason for me to lose my kids. There were people coming forward telling lies about me and this and that, and none of it was true. But they had an attorney, and I didn't because I couldn't afford one, which really makes a big difference when you can't afford an attorney. And they have one. They will really screw you over. I promise you. I was definitely screwed on what happened to me. But it does go to show that it's not always... There are exceptions to that rule that women always get, you know, favored by the court system. They do. You know, they absolutely are favored by the court system. There are very few exceptions where they're not. Once again, I tell you, look at Jeff Younger. This mother is transing her boy, making him a girl when he doesn't want to be, yet she still has custody, and he has no rights to them. He can't see them. Uh, well, he can, and he'll explain why he doesn't. He knows what they're trying to do, and he refuses to participate in making a case against them not being with their dad. I understand what he's doing, and it must be very hard to not get to see your kids, knowing that they're suffering and they don't want this, but they're 10 years old and they're being forced. Yet that mother still has custody. And she was actually my stepsister's pediatrician. And when my mother heard this story, she immediately said, we're not going back there. We're going to go find you another doctor. So um, I just, you know, this story is very close to me because my mother personally knows this woman. So I do follow it. And I hope that Jeff Younger gets justice and that his son gets justice because it's not fair and it's not right and this woman is a very wicked deranged woman and she should not have custody of any of their kids and I think they just have two they have twins but if they have more she shouldn't have them definitely but I think this is really an important conversation that we should have so let's start having it men start coming forward it will be okay you will have support I I have no doubt that you will be supported if you come out and are just honest about the abuse that you suffer from. Anyway, I'm going to leave the episode here. Thank you for joining me today. Don't forget to go to Spotify, Anchor, and Google Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Head on over to my YouTube channel. You can watch my videos there. Like them. Share them with people that you think might enjoy them. But definitely subscribe to the channel and hit the notification bell so you know when I upload new videos. Um, just a note, I have to be very careful about what I upload to YouTube right now because I just got another community strike and another video taken down from nine months ago when I read an article about the Arizona audit looking for voter fraud. And it got taken down because they said I was spreading false claims of voter fraud. All I did was read an article that a media outlet wrote and they took it down nine months later. I'm not sure why. So I can't get a third strike or I will lose my channel. So I got to be very careful about what I put up there. Anyway, I hope you have a good rest of your day. And I look forward to spending more time with you next week. Have a good day and God bless.